Well, good morning. Please turn, if you would, to John's Gospel, and chapter 15, and we're looking at verses 1 to 17. John's Gospel, chapter 15, and verses 1 to 17. And it's page number 1083 of the Pew Bibles. Before we read, let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word now, and as we explore what it means to stay in love with the Lord Jesus, may you speak to each one of us. And Lord, we ask, by the power of your Spirit, the Spirit of holiness, for a fresh glimpse this morning of your Son, and of what he's accomplished for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 15 and verse 1. And Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruits, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life For his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead. I have called you. Friends. For everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. You. Did not choose me. But I chose you. 
and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. Now, let me start with a confession. Two weeks ago, I was supposed to be somewhere, and I wasn't there. I wonder if you can guess what happened. Yes, well, if you recall, two weeks ago, it was snowing. And where was I supposed to be on that particular Sunday? Preaching here in Charlotte Chapel. And where was I? Trapped in Avonmore. But we had a great time. <laughs> we did miss you. It was a church family weekend away. And we stayed at the very nice Avonmore Highland Resort. And here's what the hotel website says. The resort is situated at the foot of the Cairngorm Mountains, nestling amidst the ancient Caledonian pine forests, which are home to an abundance of wildlife and snow, and the setting for the TV series Monarch of the Glen. Doesn't it sound romantic? And it seemed to have it all. We had beautiful scenery, we had a posh dinner, we had a pool with a spa, we had snow, lots of snow, and most of all, we had our very own Charlotte Chapel romantic walk. Romance. However, there's an even more profound kind of love. Listen to what Francis Schaeber wrote back in the 16th century. Francis was a pioneer missionary to India and Japan. And here's what Francis Shaver wrote. As thyself hast loved me, O ever-loving Lord, so would I love thee, dearest Lord. And in thy praise will sing, solely because thou art my God and my most loving King. But let me ask you this question. How do you stay in love with Jesus after many years? And how do you stay in love when things go wrong? And how do you stay in love with Christ when life doesn't seem to work out quite as you'd planned it? Many of you will have heard of Johnny Erickson Tada. Johnny was a vivacious 17-year-old from Maryland in America. But back in 1967, Johnny went for a swim in Chesapeake Bay. And was she active? Yes. Was she ambitious? Yes. She even dreamt of competing in the Olympic Games. But that dream was shattered into a million pieces. As Joni dived into the water, as you may know, her head struck the bottom, and it left Joni Erickson paralysed, and she would spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair. Now, Joni is a Christian. So how do you stay 
in love with Christ when life can be hard. On the night before his death, Jesus tells us, and the Apostle John records what took place. Now, if you think back to John chapter 13, what do we find? Jesus is meeting with his disciples, remember? And he washes their feet. Amazing humility. And then in John 14, if you recall, he wants them to know something. And it's this. He'll soon be leaving this world. But he's coming back. And then what happens next? You'll notice at the end of chapter 14, verse 31. What does it say? The Apostle John notes that Jesus said, Come now, let us leave. And so many scholars believe that in chapter 15, they're actually on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's a wonderful picture. Picture this scene. On their way, they pass the Temple of Jerusalem. And hanging over the entrance is an enormous vine. It was over 70 cubits high. And ancient historians, among them Josephus, say that this vine was made of solid gold. And tradition has it that Jesus, he looked up and he used this golden vine as an illustration for staying in love with him. And notice, it has two parts. Number one, it means rejoicing in your life. Rejoicing in your life. And number two, it means reflecting a new lifestyle. Reflecting a new lifestyle. And so firstly, it means rejoicing in new life. Verses 1 to 8. Now, we can rejoice in many things. For example, two weeks ago, as you know, we drove up the A9 to Abermore. We arrived at the hotel and I rejoiced. Why? Because we had our own TV. Which meant I could watch the Six Nations Rugby Championship. Forget all that romantic stuff. And if you're a student, what can you rejoice in? Your final exams. Just think. And no more exams ever again in your life. But let me ask you this question. What is the greatest reason for rejoicing? Above everything else, what is it that gives the greatest joy? Finding new life in Jesus. And we see that in John chapter 15. And there are three things to observe about this life. Firstly, notice the source of new life. Verse 1, this is amazing. What does Jesus say here in verse 1? I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, this is actually central to the story of the whole Bible. Okay? And there are two parts to this. Number one, the identity of the vine. Who does the vine represent? Now, to understand this, we must turn back to the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 80, okay? Please turn to Psalm chapter 80, and it's page number 593 of the Pew Bibles. Psalm chapter 80. Now, we find in Jewish history, 
The vine was symbolic of the nation Israel. It was a great national symbol of national life. And so during the Maccabean period, on their coins was the vine. Now in verse 8 of Psalm 80, notice what it says. The psalmist writes, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Then in verse 14, if you look down, Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Now stay with me here. What does that mean? Well, Israel here is pictured as a vineyard. And who is the gardener? It's God. But notice, the divine produced fruit. No, it didn't. Because they disobeyed God. They were not a light to the Gentiles. But it's here we see the amazing grace of Almighty God. How does Psalm 80 continue? By looking forward to a future day when the vine will be fruitful. Look at what verse 17 says. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Now let's think about this. Why is this so central to God's written revelation in the Bible? Because it's here we come to a change in salvation history. In John chapter 15 verse 1, who is the vine now? It's Jesus Christ, God's impeccable son. So imagine this. Imagine that you were there 2,000 years ago and you hear Jesus say those incredible words. I am the true vine. And as you look around, what do you notice? You'd notice this. All conversation had stopped. Why? Because they knew that he was saying something remarkable. And the force of his words was this. He says this. You all know the vine that represents our nation. You are aware of the expectations it spoke of as far as provision. Well, he says, I want you to know that I am the authentic vine. I am the one who provides sustenance for life. I am the fulfillment of that image. And that's an utterly amazing claim. One scholar writes this. Not one recognized religious leader, not Moses, Paul, Buddha, Mohammed, Confucius, etc., has ever claimed to be God. That is, with the exception of Jesus Christ. Christ is the only religious leader who has ever claimed to be deity and the only individual ever who has convinced a great portion of the world that he is God. Number two, the imperative of the vine. Cast your eye at verse four. What does it say? Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. 
If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruits. Notice here, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, these are tremendous words. Why did Jesus come? He came to bring us life. Let me illustrate. One of my greatest hobbies is not cutting the grass. And if that's yours, please do come and say hi. It would be great to meet you. But when I cut the grass, I always use a safety socket. Yes? And until you switch it on, what happens? Nothing. It has no power, no life in it. Now notice what Jesus is telling us here. He's saying, I came to bring you life. And the Apostle Paul knew the reality of that when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me ask you, do you know the greatest thing in this world? It is Christ living within you. We have a course called Christianity Explored. And it looks in a lot more depth what it means to have life. And if you're not sure whether you have this life, then why don't you come and join us? We meet tomorrow night at half past seven. So that's the first thing to notice, the source of new life. And secondly, the fruit of new life. Now, when I was younger, I used to love visiting my uncle Bill and my aunt May. Why? Because they had a greenhouse. And I got spoiled rotten. It was wonderful. But the thing to know about Uncle Bill and Aunt May is this. They loved to grow tomatoes. And what always amazed me was this. Wherever you planted a tomato seed, a tomato would always grow there. And I was quite a sharp kid. Well, when someone has a life of Christ flowing within them, what is it that's produced? Christ-likeness. Because a Christian is joined to Christ. John Stott comments helpfully. Thus the Christian is likened to a fruit tree. Not a Christmas tree. For the fruit grows on a fruit tree. Whereas the decorations are only tied onto a Christmas tree. But let's stop. And let's look at verse 6. Now what does this mean? If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Question. Does that mean that I can lose my salvation? Is that what it means? No, it doesn't. What does John chapter 10 say? Do you remember? Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one can snatch them out of my hand now in verse 6 here Jesus is speaking about those who are never true believers or else they'd have been pruned look at verse 2 not cut off and the point is this there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit and that's very important Don Carson clarifies for us what this fruit actually is And here's what he says. He says, this fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence 
on the vine, driven by faith, embracing all of the believer's life and the product of his witness. And now if you look at verse 7, what do you discover in verse 7? We find the secret of how to bear fruit by remaining in Christ. Look at what it says, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. J.C. Ryle puts it superbly. Remaining in Christ, it means to abide in me, cling to me, stick fast to me, live the life of close and intimate communion with me, get nearer and nearer to me, roll every burden on me, cast your whole weight on me, never let go of me, never let go your hold on me for a moment. And how do we apply this practically? By devoting ourselves to prayer, and by devoting ourselves to God's word. Now as you heard this morning, we have a new seven week course starting called Building Blocks. And it tackles questions like, what does it mean to live God's way? And how does God speak to me? And how do I speak to God? And if you've recently become a Christian, or if you would like a refresher course, then this course is for you. And now thirdly, we come to the purpose of this new life. What is the purpose of my existence? And if you've been around Charlotte Chapel for the past two months, you will know the answer to that. Don't you? Don't you? A couple do. Okay, well in verse 8, listen to what Jesus reminds us. He says this, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And deeper than all of us, we know that. You see, there's more to life than just watching sport on TV, especially when Scotland get beat or passing our exams. And that Henry David Thoreau knew that. Henry David Thoreau didn't believe in God. And he's often noted for his statements that we live lives of quiet desperation. But here's what Henry David did. He went into the woods of Walden Pond, Massachusetts, and he lived alone for two years. Listen to this. He wrote this. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Think of this, what he says. I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear. And listen, millions all over this globe have discovered this life. And it's found in a person called Jesus. And staying in love with him means rejoicing in this new life. And now secondly, it means reflecting a new lifestyle. Reflecting a new lifestyle. Verses 9 to 17. Now a popular series on TV is called Faking It. And you, might, you may have seen it. And it's all about people changing their lifestyle. Pretending to be someone they're not. Like Rob Archer. From management consultant to dog trainer. And at least he managed to fool some. His mentor said the dogs thought he was unnatural. So let me ask you this. What about the lifestyle of a Christian? Is it real or is it fake? 
Well, for someone who loves Jesus, their life is truly transformed. As we heard this morning, as we sang earlier, I want to know him. Whatever things were gained to me, these things I count as loss. In view of all Christ did for me, when suffering on that shameful cross, he died for me just to claim me as his own so that I might truly know him. And interestingly, it is circular. You see, the more you rejoice in your life, the more you reflect on your lifestyle. And the more you reflect on your lifestyle, the more you rejoice. And it will show in three areas of your life. Number one, through a new attitude. Now, when I had more at the weekend, as you know, it was snowing. And so we had a choice to make. Option number one. We could go skiing in the Cairngorm Mountains and get cold and wet. Or option number two. We could just chill out by the nice, warm, luxury pool and the nice, warm, luxury spa. Guess what we did? We chose option number two. And it showed our attitude to getting cold and wet. Well, in verse 9, what do we discover? A Christian is given a new attitude. And notice it's an attitude that wants to obey Christ. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And C.T. Studd gave us a brilliant example of that. C.T. Studd, he was a renowned cricket player, but God gave him a particular call to work as a missionary. And he obeyed that call, and he went to China, and he founded the China Inland Mission. And he mentioned some marvellous words, and here's what he said, If Jesus Christ be God and die for me, then no sacrifice that I could ever make for him would ever be too great. And I thought about that, and I asked myself two questions. Do I still stand in wonder at the foot of the cross? Is that a reality for me? And do I still obey Christ gladly? Reflecting a new lifestyle will show through a new attitude. And number two, it will show through a new relationship. In other words... Do I love other believers? Look at verse 12. What does it say? My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So let's think about that. How do you show someone that you love them? Well, the early church father, St. Augustine, Put it very well. Here's what he says. What does it look like? It has hands to help others, feet to hasten to the poor and needy, eyes to see misery and want, ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. And maybe for you, that will mean simply taking time to be with someone, buying flowers for Mother's Day, encouraging someone going through a hard time. And if they're a student, 
knowing when they've got exams. Love each other as I have loved you. So here's a thought. Think of that person who just seems so skillful at winding you up. Okay, who is the complete opposite of you in temperament. How are you supposed to love them? Well, here's the thought. Why not put that person who you're thinking about, Richard Gibb, on your prayer list, pray for them, that God would bless them. And it won't be easy. But here's what you'll find. How you feel about that person will change. You'll begin to love them. And finally, number three, it will show through a new mission. And this should just thrill us. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, amazing words, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, what does he say? I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And watch this. There are two great realities to grasp here. First, we are described as friends of the King of Kings. Let me ask you, do you ever go outside and look up at the night sky and gaze around at the sheer vastness of creation and think to yourself, the King of the Universe wants to be my friend. Isn't that great? What can compare with that? Nothing. And second, what do friends share? A common mission. And verse 16, notice, a Christian shares in the greatest mission on this planet. Notice, a mission for those who are lost. Fruit that will last. And so as we close, there are two questions we can ask ourselves. Number one, most important one. Am I a friend of the king of the universe? Am I a friend of the king of the universe? And question number two. Do I share the spirit of someone like John Wesley who said, I want the whole Christ for my saviour, the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. What a spirit. Loving Christ means reflecting a new lifestyle. Now this morning, we commence by thinking about Johnny Erickson Tada. Once an energetic teenager, and now confined to a wheelchair. And here's the question. Would Joni lose her love for Christ? Would her love for Christ grow cold? Because if anyone had it tough, she did. Didn't she? She did. Well, she wrote a book, and the title itself tells us the answer. And here it is. It's called The God I Love, A Lifetime of Walking with Jesus. And now three decades on, what was Johnny's deepest longing in life? Well, listen to the cry of her heart. She writes this. Forever stay beside me. You alone are the God I love. 
And my question to you is simply this. Is that the cry of your heart this morning? Forever stay beside me. You alone are the God I love. Let us pray.